You're listening to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, a podcast for music fans, where musicians and friends share some drinks and talk about the top 12 songs in a year without all that technical jargon. Join us for episode 65. This week, we'll discuss the best songs of 1992. Let's take a second to remember 1992, the Rodney King riots, Amy Fisher shoots Mary Jo Buttafuoco, U.S. sends troops to Somalia, Bill Clinton elected president, TV shows that premiered included The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, The Real World, Dateline NBC, and Melrose Place. Leaving TV that year, The Cosby Show, MacGyver, Who's the Boss, Growing Pains, and Jason's favorite show ever, The Golden Girls. <laughs> Top movies included Wayne's World, Singles, A Few Good Men, Aladdin, My Cousin Vinny, and Patriot Games. <laughs> As for music, what a dynamic year for music. Let's turn that over to your host, Rob Heitman, and a man who still stalks Betty White on Instagram, keyboardist supreme, Jason <laughs> Weck. Hey, welcome to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, where we we'll rank the Dirty Dozen or Top 12 songs from 1992. While discussing that year's music and pounding back a few drinks, I'm Rob. I'm Jason. And he's currently looking at Betty White in some really suggestive positions. I... <laughs> Whatever. People, it's it's people very disturbing. Things. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Don't follow my lead. Yeah. Well, welcome back, man. Thank you. It's, it's been a, it's been a little bit, but we'll always love to have you here. It's a privilege to be here, and I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome. You're right. It is a privilege to be here. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. No, no, we're actually privileged that you're here, Jason. Thank you. We'd like to thank everybody who's been active on Facebook. While we can't give a shout out to everyone, I'll just call it a few each week. Alex and Dana Hennon, Deb Rousey, and Gina Collins, thank you for being part of the community, and thank you everybody who's been voting. The response has been great. The numbers are going up every week. We're currently, as we're taping this in the metal industrial voting round, we've added four bands so far to our podcast schedule for next season. They are Weezer, Alice Cooper, System of a Down, and the Allman Brothers Band. So look forward to that next season and continue voting. I'm curious who's going to come up with metal and... Next round will already be underway when this podcast is released as well. So, thanks again. So, Jason, what do you remember from your crib about <laughs> 1992? Uh, any of the movies or shows or events that stood out to you? Oh, well, I have to start off with the, with the first thing that you mentioned, which was the Rodney King riots. And in 92, I was eight years old and I was living in Hawthorne, California. And I remember my family self-evacuating, essentially, and going to stay with my grandparents in Palos Verdes. Okay. It was one of the most, I think, fearful times in my young life, where you could actually see the fear in your parents' eyes, right? Right. And that doesn't happen very often. A neighbor family of ours, and when us, we got together, we actually, we borrowed these handheld CB radios, you know, because this is back before cell phones, right? So we were afraid if our little caravan got separated, you know, people wouldn't know where to go sure so we've got these little cb radios we all get in our cars we kind of caravan through that part of hawthorne and, and through torrance and i remember gas stations on fire black columns of smoke yeah very impactful for a kid who's you know eight years old yeah no no doubt that's i didn't realize you were so close to the action when that went that yeah thankfully it wasn't obviously weren't in the heart of it but for the the fringes of those riots ended up extending to within a few blocks of yeah, where we live. Yeah, definitely Torrance. I mean, yeah. So those that was a very very powerful memory. Um, definitely, I was I was always a huge fan of the Cosby Show. You know, un unfortunate as uh, as that turns out to be. I I understand people are bad, and I still like Naked Gun, for example. Sure. And O.J. Simpson's a Naked Gun. 
Right. So if even if people believe that he murdered somebody, which I don't know that he did or whatever happened, I don't know. Regardless of that, I still think that's a funny movie. Yeah. Well, and you're absolutely right. There's a redeeming message in the Cosby show that that lasts beyond the beyond the bad choices of the people that were involved. And in think it. of everybody else on the Cosby show. It wasn't mm-hmm. just Bill. Right. It was everybody. Right. Right. I think you can still watch it. Maybe I'm wrong on that. That's just my point of view, pretty much. I, I'm going to agree with you. Right. It's not as risque as Jason watching the Golden Girls at, late <laughs> at night. Yeah, that would be very disturbing. <laughs> uh, singles, of course, was huge. And it could be one of the best rom-coms of all time. You probably haven't seen it because it's not exactly on an eight-year-old list of films. Not on my movie watch list. Regardless, it's one of the best soundtracks of all time. And you need to watch it. So, that said... Join me in a belt of scotch. It's 9.30 in the morning. Yeah, but I haven't slept in days. Okay, we're drinking today a highball, which is bourbon. We're doing it with bourbon. You can do it with a bunch of different spirits. You can do it. I've heard people do it with scotch, which is odd to me. I'm not sure why you would, but you could. Yeah, I guess. And I've heard people do it with Japanese whiskey. Mm-hmm. which is it's actually a very popular drink in japan or at least that's what i've read what we're drinking it with is jim beam some ginger ale and a little bit of lime juice mix it up and have a nice cool refreshing beverage yep Does it's like it it's tasty yeah it's got a little bit of the ginger in there it kind of balances out the sweetness with the lime got a little bit of a bourbon aftertaste on the end it's it's great it's interesting you don't really realize a margarita is probably a good example that you don't realize how strong what you're drinking is, and then all of a sudden, poof. It's you, sneaky. Yeah, because you're doing a shot or a shot and a half. Three ounces of uh, whiskey is in that right. drink, right? It doesn't taste like there's three ounces of no, whiskey. No, it does there. not. You, yeah. can, you can hardly taste it, or you can taste the, the kick a little bit, but that's right. it. It's pretty good. You should try it. If you're into that sort of thing, you want something nice and refreshing, you're not in the mood for a beer uh, like the commercial said. How about this super filling IPA? Aged with goat's milk. Or a Bavarian retail with a hint of half and puff. Yeah. Son, son. You want a dark beer? Goat's milk. Mm. Dark beer. How about a beam and ginger highball? Yeah, that sounds good. That's what we're having. So we're having what <laughs> what he's having, I guess. Before we begin, we'll be critically reviewing the songs of 1992, and we'll share around 20 seconds of each tune, unless there is a specific issue or criticism that we may need to highlight, then we may do a second clip. We have made Spotify playlists. Just search Official Dirty Dozen on Spotify to listen to each of our lists in their entirety. This way, all the money for playing tunes will always head back to the artists we discuss. We've also created a current episode Dirty Dozen podcast playlist which will automatically update with each podcast to the current podcast. So subscribe once and always be updated. We decided to link a song with the year the album was released because songs can chart multiple years and we felt this was the best way to avoid duplication over the podcast. So the way this works is we combine our individual top 12 lists with a lightly weighted media list, which is taken from media sources on the web and combined into one list to create our official Dirty Dozen for 1993. We'll count down the official list from 12 to 1, nice and simple. But before we get going with the list, we'll each talk about a song that wouldn't be in our top 12, but we'd still like to discuss. We call this our Song of Note. So Jason, what's your Song of Note? So my Song of Note is called Make You a Believer by an artist named Sass Jordan. And Sassy. That's right. She's Sassy. That's right. Well, I, I thought she was. You know, I've got an interesting viewpoint about music from 92 because I wasn't listening to 
current popular music when it came out in 92, probably a little bit young for that, right? So I'm looking at it kind of in hindsight, almost like through a rearview mirror. And I was not privy to this artist before researching for this podcast. It was one of those things where I'm listening through all these tracks and she comes on and all of a sudden my ears perk up. I'm like, wow, there is something here. She sounds bluesy. It really gave me that Black Crows vibe. Yes. It was weird not to hear Chris Robinson sing it. Yeah. That, that's how Black Crowsy it was. <laughs> yeah, it was. And my preference, I guess, of mixing guitars and keyboard instruments, it's one of the most perfect balances that I've heard. It's, it's that type of dynamic. A little bit of panning going on, you know, very careful keeping the space, the Hertz level space. That's almost exactly where I'd want to mix a band with piano and guitar, especially when the B3 organ kicks in later. It's this perfect balance of grit, soulsy blues, rock. And I love what she does with her voice throughout the song. She actually hits a couple of different techniques, the gravel or the rasp. She can bend the notes like a blues artist, and then she'll surprise you and hit a note and hold it full on. So really, really impressed. Yeah, they don't call her Canada's queen of rock for nothing. That's true. Yeah. So you have to say A when you talk about her. Yeah, she's pretty good, eh? Yeah, she's a pretty good singer, eh? The harmonies and the background vocals are, are good. I really picked mm -hmm. that up. It really got that little touch of R&B in there. Mm -hmm. You don't always get from, say, the Black Crows. Right. Really good. She actually just re-recorded it in 2017. This is her big album, I guess. The album's called Racine. Mm -hmm. And now there's a Racine Revisited. If you like this track, if you want to hear an updated version of her playing this track 25 years later, she actually sings really well. She does. And the mix is actually quite good. Mm -hmm. And it's actually better because technology is advanced. Improved in 25 years. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yep. Highly recommend it. All right. So let's listen to Jason's Song of Note, Make You a Believer by Sass Jordan. She's Sass Jordan. I love that name, Sass Jordan. She's Sass Jordan. Anyway, uh, off of the album Racine, let's take a listen. And Okay, that was Jason's song of note, Make Your Believer by Sass Jordan. Uh, we had a good conversation in the, the time, but she's a really good singer. She has such a good range, and uh, it's really hard for somebody from Canada, I'm sure, to make a break into the American market when you sound very much like the Black Crows. Anyway, let's move from, you know, the pedestrian Jason song of <laughs> over to something amazing. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Something way more uh, important. Way more important. <laughs> it's, it's actually going to be quite different. My song of note comes from my love of a singer that most people don't know about. I, I think a lot of people, maybe you probably don't know about. Hmm. Her name is Bjork. Okay. That's actually how you say it. I always say Bjork. Yeah. But this isn't a Bjork song per se, but it is because she was the lead singer of a band called The Sugar Cubes. Ah. And the name of the song is Hit, which was my song of note. This was Bjork's first love song that she ever did. Bjork said, I tried. I tried. I really did. We needed a sense of humor. And I wanted it to be gross and powerful because it's contrary to what people think when they fall in love. She talks very... That's pretty good. <laughs> close to that, actually. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting. Like The song talks about almost pregnancy and how mm. she has to deal with that. Although it was a love song and I always took it as such. Until I really got into the lyrics and then I saw the deeper meaning. She, she has the thing is, you've put a seed inside me while you're away. It's growing silently, starts in my stomach. 
embraces my inside and about to reach my heart. This wasn't supposed to happen. She says this all over mm-hmm. in the song. And they have a little rap part for the guy who's also one of the lead singers of Sugar Cubes. And he does a rap, which I kind of like, but it's not quite as good as the other part. Yeah. Love the drums and the kick in this. Mm-hmm. And then they have dramatic keys yep. that are played in the song, which I like a lot. The clean Fender guitar, Bjork's voice, so different. The video helped this tune. For some reason, she puts out great videos, whether it was with the Sugar Cubes or in her solo stuff. It adds so much to the song. The chorus is catchy. That's it. The lyrics are a bit weird, but that's expected. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a great song of note pick. Um, I really did enjoy the drums in it as well. Nice that you picked a uh, a song of note that's got some keys in it. I got to give you props, man. Well, I, you know, I knew you were coming. <laughs> no, actually, when I when I went through the year, I was like, there's this songs that jump out at you yep. that mm-hmm. hit you and remind you of, oh my gosh, I remember that. That was awesome. Yeah. And I'm like, that couldn't be in the top 12 that year. There's just no shot. Right. But I wanted to put it in. So here we go. Here's my song of note hit by the Sugar Cubes off of their album, Stick Around for Joy, my song of note. That was my song of note, Hit, by the Sugar Cubes. Nice pick. Yeah, that's good stuff. So, that said, it's time for the main event. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. And now it's time for the main event. Let's go into our Dirty Dozen. We'll jump in with something a little heavier, which is always good. <laughs> and surprisingly, this is one that was my 13. This was on your list, and this was on the media's list. Hmm. This was your number eight. This was the media's number four. And the name of the artist is Rage Against the Machine. Killing in the Name, off of their Rage Against the Machine album, are number 12. So, Jason, since it's on your list... <laughs> And see, I thought for sure that that we were going to match on this. Now, this is probably the only Rage Against the Machine song that I'm really familiar with. And obviously, it was a it was a big song, you know, dynamic guitars, you know, big drums, the kind of the the rap singing throughout the song. It was one that you could walk into a gym, you turn on the radio in the car, and chances are, if you're listening to a rock or a metal station, this is the the song you're going to hear from that band. Felt like it should be on the list. I didn't have a lot of other heavy stuff on my list, so. (laughs) <laughs> I, need, I needed to throw the throw the tribute out there to the metal fans. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things I love about this song is during the solo, Morello has this octave sweeper that he uses uh, with his feet. And he makes these weird, whoop, whoop, it sounds like he's scratching, but he's not. What he's doing is he's doing octave, uh, two octave bends. Oh, that's crazy. With, I didn't know that's what the, the Yeah, with, with the, with the pedal things. Wow. Yeah, so he's actually playing something fairly simple on guitar. Yeah. But he's doing it with the octave pitches and the timing of that oh, coupled awesome. with what he's playing yeah. kind of pulls it together and it's really cool. I love the initial open chord strum just to start the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's just iconic. And then the bass notes... And then the call and answer between the rhythm guitar and the lead riff. Yep. I love the feel of the music and the execution, even the timbre and attack of the vocal as he gets angrier and angrier as the song goes on. Mm -hmm. So solid. Tough for me to leave this out. But as I said, uh, that's just my personal opinion. This is uh, one of the songs that should be in here. And I was happy to see it get in here. Well, good. I'm glad I'm glad it made your day, Rob. It did. It did. (laughs) I was so happy to see it in there. And I was like, okay. Leave it to the keyboard player to put it in. (laughs) 
And one of the things I was thinking of was we were building the, you know, doing the research for the, the podcast was sometimes music makes an impression on your mind more so because of the space between the notes or the rests in the music as opposed to actually the actual notes being played. And this is, I think, a great example of that. No, I totally agree. In fact, that's what I tend to like about a lot of these songs is the tacit. You, you'll hear me say that over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's that pause in the song where they come back in really strong. Anyway, fantastic tune. So let's listen to the number 12 song, Killing in the Name by Rage Against the Machine, off of their self-titled album. So my goals and workforces for the same that works process That was Killing in the Name by Rage Against the Machine. Our number 12. Good way to start us off, man. You continue down this path as we move to number 11. This is a song that I love too, that didn't make my list. (laughs) This we talked about in episode number two of this podcast. The artist is one of my favorite bands, actually, Faith No More. Mm. Off one of my favorite albums, Angel Dust. But I think Angel Dust would have made my top 12 albums, but I don't know that a specific single would have made my top 12 list for that year. And that's where I had the issue. Mm-hmm. It was your number four. And the name of the song is Midlife Crisis. Great tune, though. But I'll let you take the lead because it's on your list and not mine. Yeah. Faith No More was a band that I had not heard of, actually, until I listened to your number two podcast. Wow. That's awesome, man. And I was talking to Jake and you know him being in that tribute band. And I had no idea who they were. I'd probably heard a song of them on the radio at some point. But probably I realized, epic. Yeah, probably was. And then I started listening to them and just was blown away by their, their musical talent, their variety. And go figure. Keyboard player. Keyboard player. You know, it's like, come on. You're the band that can play all different genres of music and they do midlife crisis is a song that actually spans vocal talents through a variety of different elements you you know you've got more spoken word the bridge you've got some real soft mellow vocal tones and then immediately in the next bar he's going into crisis you know that growl in a really high-pitched tone the dynamic shifts in the song are great and from the growl of some of the verse lyrics Mm -hmm. And then he comes and he's like, oh, this guy probably can't sing. And then you hear him. It's like, oh, dude, this yeah. guy has he's got a range. range. Yeah. He's got vocal control and he's got some great punching lyrics throughout the song, too, where he actually he'll match the rhythm of the drums with how he phrases the words, how he bites off the end of the word. Just a fantastic song. Do you know what the song's about? And this is something that I, quite frankly, I'm a Faith No More fan, been a Faith No More fan for years and years and years. I never dig into the meanings of these songs. This one was fascinating. This one blew me away. I was not expecting it. Lay it on me. You ready? Yep. This song was about Madonna. What? Really? Really, she was trying to do so many different things as her career started slipping away. Okay. And she was going through a midlife crisis. And here's a quote from Mike Patton, the lead singer of Faith No More. I think it was a particular time where I was being bombarded with her image on TV, with the magazines, and her whole shtick kind of speaks to me in that way. It's like she's going through some sort of problem. She was getting sort of desperate. So during production, it was given the working title of Madonna, and Billy Gould, their keyboard player, said that the lyrics apply to her even more today. Wow. Your menstruating heart. Oh, that's my favorite line. For two. I, what <laughs> it's my favorite line. line in the whole song. So anyway, let's listen to Midlife Crisis 
Art number 11 by Faith No More off of a massive album, a great album. If you haven't heard this album, listen to this album, Angel Dust. Let's listen. That was number 11, Midlife Crisis by Faith No More. What a great way to start off. We started a little heavier today. Yes, we did. And we're going to go to an acoustic sort of feel on the next track. This is the number 10 song overall. This is a band, well, this is a singer that we talked about in episode number one of the podcast, Chris Cornell. This is off of the single soundtrack, which is one amazing movie. Pearl Jam is in it, actually acting in it. They needed people to portray the band. That was fronted by Matt Dillon's character in the movie. Hmm. And the name of the band is Citizen Dick. <laughs> Eddie Vedder's the drummer. Uh, okay. And Jeff Amet and Stone Gossard are his band. Got it. In the movie, you see Chris Cornell perform and Soundgarden perform. Allison Chains perform. It's in Seattle. It's a rom-com based in Seattle. But Tom Hanks is not in it. <laughs> it meant that everyone got to sleep then. Yeah, this was, this was my number three song overall. And this is the number 10 song overall. It's Seasons by Chris Garnell. The guitar harmonics in the intro, there's a really weird tuning he plays with. And I don't want to go too technical, but this is so weird I have to mention it. Yeah, because I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, it's F, F, C, 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 F. The open F5 chord kind wow. of thing. I don't know of anyone else that I've ever heard of that plays with I know, that tuning. <laughs> I know. They play with so many weird tunings generally, but this is a singer-songwriter showcase for Chris. But there, here's the interesting story about it. Uh, in the movie Singles, Matt Dillon's character had a fake cassette that he was selling, and the scene was actually cut from the movie because he was leaving Citizen Dick and going solo. Okay. But it was just too much detail to get into. But regardless, they asked Jeff and Matt to make a prop up of what somebody would be selling yeah. while he was busking. Ahmed actually put fictional song titles on it. Well, actually, let's just play a clip of Chris Cornell explaining it himself. I think that works best. Jeff did, it was just kind of identical to what everyone else was doing. It was, it was like a Kinko's copy Xerox, you know, on colored paper with with uh, the silhouette of, of the character and, and some song titles on it. So it said Ponce on the front and then there were song titles that he, and Jeff just made up the titles. And one of those titles was Spoon Man. One of those titles was Seasons. Uh, there was one called Flutter Girl. Uh, they were all really in inspiring to me. And I remember seeing it and thinking, having this idea that clicked in my head of, wouldn't it be great to like take that home and actually write those songs based on those titles and you know on a four track the way that it's supposed to be and, and then mix them down, put them in the cassette and like have somebody sort of direct camera to discover it on the set. And... Uh, so I did that, and I spent, you know, a couple hours on each song. It wasn't long. I kind of rushed through it. But he made them all up. Really? At that point. That's how Spoonman started. Wow. Because he wanted to make this tape. And uh, Cameron Crowe, when he listened to it, he's like, holy crap, this is Chris Cornell as Cliff Poncier. That's the, that's the, the, character's the character. Name. Yeah. Recording all these songs with lyrics, total creative vision, and he recorded an entire fake solo cassette. It's fantastic. <laughs> and then Seasons comes on, and you can't help go... Go, but wow, this is the guy we've only known in Soundgarden. He's incredibly creative, but who's ever heard him like this? Right. That was Cameron Crowe. 
And it's just so fantastic an idea. But he recorded it on a four track, put it on there like wow. he, like the character would have done. Right. And did it. And songs b- were birthed from that. It's just a fantastic thing. Right? You know you're in the presence of genius when someone can pull that off. I mean, that's that's just incredible. I, I have to say I'm not the biggest Soundgarden fan or the biggest Chris Cornell fan. Nothing against him. He's got a great voice. I love the guitar work in this song, though. I think there's a 12-string in there, or maybe it's that there's a there's an effect on there that's making me think I think that. it's multiple guitars. What you can get the feeling, it does remind me of Zeppelin Three a little bit. Okay. Some of the guitar work on there, to the bluesy delivery by Cornell through a lot of it, too. Yeah. That kind of highlights that sort of feel for me. I love Chris's voice, which is not news to anybody who's ever listened to this podcast. <laughs> the bridge is crazy good, but fantastic tune. If you haven't heard it, if you haven't heard the single soundtrack, listen to it. There was so much on there. I almost put a Pearl Jam song on there, but this is the song that really stood out to me. Seasons by Chris Cornell. This is our number 10. Let's take a listen. Okay, that was Seasons, our number 10. Good song. Yeah, absolutely. Now we move from a metal artist to a more of a punk artist. This is our number nine off of an album called Dirty. The name of the song is 100% by Sonic Youth. This was my number five. Media's number seven. Not on your list. Not at all. But I don't blame you um, <laughs> for not, you know, you didn't know that you were wrong. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Feedback draws your attention right from the beginning. Your head moves as you listen to it. It's kind of a simple beat, but the cadence and the delivery, especially the stop and the acapella part, the salty chick is all mine and all you men are slime, that part. The bass is so growly and awesome. In the music video, Kim Gordon, who's the guitarist, she uh, was donning a counterfeit Rolling Stones t-shirt that said eat me across the front. This phrase was deemed too obscene for MTV, resulting (laughs) in the video being banned. And her response was, it's a bootleg Rolling Stone shirt, the big mouth. It said eat me on it. At the time I took it, well, that's confusing. They've obviously got mostly naked women in the videos (laughs) in every video. Uh, This is the problem they have. The bass in this is so growly and awesome. I love it. Uh, this is all about the murder of Joe Cole, a friend of the band, who was killed in an armed robbery. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's what it's about. And this was actually recorded, engineered, and produced by Butch Vig, who did Nevermind. Hmm. One critic called this contagious grunge pop. Okay. What, any thoughts? Yeah, I love the fuzzy guitar that drove the song. I also liked the uh, drum solo slash breakdown towards the end i liked the space between the bass notes so there was there was you know like i was mentioning earlier the space between the notes sometimes draws you in even more so than the note itself i mean it's that change from this having sound there to having space to having sound again i like that my my issues <laughs> were no the, keyboards well yeah number one no keyboard number two i'm not certain he actually hit any of his vocal notes dead on my biggest issue though was how the song ends I felt like I fall out, fell off a cliff. Oh, but that, that, that's kind of like the punk thing to do. Okay. Then, then it totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like waiting for the song to resolve itself and it disappears. I'm like, what? Uh, anyway, let's listen to the number nine song, 100% by Sonic Youth. Or for their album, Dirty. It's dirty. I tell you, dirty. Can you forgive the boy who Oh, no. 
100% by Sonic Youth off of that dirty album. It's dirty. It's dirty, so dirty. Anyway, we're going to run from that, from something dirty to something clean. Well, kind of. Pretty sad story along with this song, but let's run to number eight. This was once again not on Jason's list. This was on the media's 10. This was my number four overall by a band called Blind Melon Mm -hmm. with a song that you could not avoid if you tried No Rain. If you were alive in 92, or even if you were Jason sipping from an apple juice, (laughs) you probably heard the song. But if you had MTV, you'd see the frolicking B-girl and you would remember this. The lyrics for this song are dealing with depression. Love the vocals and the rhythmic playing towards the end of this song. It's inspired. The snaps at the end. Brad Smith, the guy who wrote this, said the song was about not being able to get out of bed and find excuses to face the day when you're really, in a way, doing nothing. And he thought it was about a girl he was dating who had clinical depression. But over time, he kind of realized that some of the feelings he was having at the time, too. Mm. And it's kind of a happy-sounding song. Right. And so you don't really realize that the No Rain B-Girl actually made a career out of being the B-Girl. That's how popular it was. Wow. And it was based on the younger sister of the drummer for Blind Melon, Glenn Graham, had a picture of her in a B outfit. Hmm. Shannon was like, that's what we have to use for the album. And they did. The Shannon story is a sad one. He died of a heroin overdose on the bus. Mm -hmm. They didn't even realize that he was dead. He actually crashed in one of the other bandmates' bunk when he came back and... Everybody's like, should we wake him? No, let's let him sleep. And then they went and one guy shook him and they realized he was dead. And then the cops tried to bust everybody for having drugs on the bus. So it was crazy. Anyway, just as a sidebar, listen to Blind Melon's catalog. If you haven't heard it before, I had to put No Rain because that's the song that everybody knows. Right. Right. But I love a lot of their other songs much more than this. Hmm. Interesting. And they're a really good band. You would like them. Well, this is the only song by Blind Melon that I was familiar with prior to researching for the podcast. I'm always impressed when a band can release a debut album and come up with something this good. I mean, the fact that, you know, so many bands take album after album after album to get something that's that's received so well. Well, they networked really well. I mean, he was friends with Axl Rose. That always helps. And very personable guy. Shannon, who's the lead singer, was the lead singer for Blind Melon. And he just tended to know people. Mm. It's just an amazing story. I read a book. Hold on a second. The name of the book is A Devil on One Shoulder and an Angel on the Other, the story of Blind Melon. And it's mostly a story of Shannon, but fascinating book. Yep. So I highly suggest that you read that book. It's fantastic. If you're a fan of anything that was happening in the early 90s, I think sure. it's worth, worth a read. And you'll find that you become more of a blind melon fan that you probably ever were before yeah i really enjoyed the, the guitar licks in the song like it was very creative very easy to listen to one of those kind of comfortable listening songs unless you actually like you know dive into the lyrics like you're talking about a lot of really heavy effects in the vocals which i thought was interesting they, they use some sort of a i don't know we have to ask jeff right but it was definitely an effect heavy vocal it was a highlight of 92 for sure it just fell outside my top 12 okay let's listen to our number eight song no rain by blind melon you know I like to keep my cheeks dry Okay, that was number eight. 
No Rain by Blind Melon. Now let's move to a song that's on both of our lists. Hey, the first time. There you go. And not on the media's list. Stupid media. That's because, what do they know anyways? They don't know nothing out there right now. They're jealous of our sort of selective brains. Virtuosa. Yes. In fact, that's the name of the song, Hey Jealousy by the Jim Blossoms. Nice. Off of the new Miserable Experience. This was my 11, you're seven, so take the lead. Yeah, this is one of those songs that you just couldn't avoid. So much radio play, completely recognizable intro. Love the appreciated guitars over the verse. Again, very 90s vocal style. I'm starting to learn that there's a, especially early 90s, there's a very unique vocal style that seemed to be very popular. You know, the Gin Blossoms really demonstrated that in this song. Slightly flat, sharp, imprecise, not really hitting the note on, but being willing to get in the vicinity of it, you know, it created that style. Well, there was no vocal correction. That that could be it too, but I guess it was originally recorded in 89 off of the band's debut album, Dusted, and that didn't do so well. Yeah, that was more of an indie recording, but yeah. Yeah. So then they signed out with a recognizable label, A&M, re-recorded the song, I believe, and it took off. No, that's not true. Well, they re-recorded it, and this is completely different from the original version, but they released it. And it still didn't do good. And then they were actually shot three videos for the song. That's how much the, the company believed in the song. Wow. Then they re-released it in 93, after 92 didn't do as well. And with the help from the video, the radio stations, and the band just blew up from there. That's crazy. Like, you and I were talking offline for a second. The way I get introduced to music is not through videos, like a lot of folks did, especially in the late 80s and early 90s with MTV. So um, it's always amazing to me to really see evidence of the power of the, the music video and how it really propels the song forward. So that's, that's interesting. And there's some sad story to go with this. The person who wrote this was Doug Hopkins, who was a guitar player, and he wrote the song about his ex-girlfriend he was trying to get back with. During the recording process, he became very unreliable and drunk all the time, so the band fired him. Then his song that he wrote became this massive hit. Hmm. Hey Jealousy is the song that made Jim Blossoms Jim Blossoms. He became more and more depressed until he committed suicide. Oh no. His band continues to play the song and considers it a tribute to him. Right. But yeah, it's kind of like, hey, the song that I wrote, you guys are making millions and millions of dollars on. And here I'm in my little apartment, right? My bottle of booze. And there you go. The rhythmic chordal structured solo, I kind of like. I love the feel of the tune. I like the lead during the pre. It fits so well that it's almost invisible. Hmm. That you don't realize what the guy's playing. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. It sounds like he's always playing a chord, but he's really not. If you really listen to what he's playing. And the guitar continues after the last drum hit, as it should. <laughs> Screw you, drummers, trying to end the, end the song. I'm ending the song when I'm ready. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Nice riff to start off. The bass stands out in the song, and the vocals have that hit that pop rock space. Right. Uh, kind of perfectly. It's really well written. Yeah, it's just a song that anybody who is listening to the radio over the past 30 years is going to hear it at some point. And one of the, the best lines, I think, in the whole thing was, if you don't expect too much from me, you might not be let down. Yeah. <laughs> I that, thought that was great. That might actually be a, a true statement in most scenarios. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> Jason said that to me before we started this. <laughs> and I said, gotcha. I, I hear you. Anyway, that's funny right there. I don't care who you are. Number seven, Hey Jealousy by the Jim Blossoms off of the new Miserable Experience. Number seven. It's
right, that was Hey Jealousy by the Gin Blossoms off of the new, the new miserable experience. Not the old one. Don't go back on an old one. No. Nobody wants Don't that. look back. Nobody wants that old miserable experience. You want that. You want that new miserable experience because it's so awesome, man. I love my new miserable experience. Anyway, that was our number seven. Now let's move to number six. Buy a band that's trapped in the 80s that still rolled into the 90s. And it really has that 80s sort of vibe that really represents the modern alt scene. The band is The Cure, and the album is Wish. And the song is Friday I'm in Love. And this was on all of our lists. Your list, my list, and the media's list. You were slightly lower than mine because you were nine. I was 10. But you can uh, go. This is our number six overall. So, again, you know, the third song of that that trio that absolutely have to be on there if you're talking about early 90s. The song is instantly recognizable. It's a simple but catchy guitar lick. I keep thinking of the lyrics throughout the verses going through each of the days, you know, and then Friday comes around. And it's like, oh, I'm in love. And we waited a whole week to get to that Friday. And how many of us can? Yeah, but I don't that? like you the rest of the week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I ran into the radio constantly, even in the 90s when my folks had the radio on in the car. It was too recognizable not to include. And it has those claps. Come on. Those are awesome. <laughs> you had those 80s claps in there. But it's really good guitar playing. I truly enjoy it. And the vocals from Robert Smith are solid, although they're definitely doubled to triple the points. And it's unique so far as the lyrics, as we we're saying. It's kind of like, who sings about just being in love one day a week? Right. Robert Smith said, Friday I'm in Love is a dumb pop song, <laughs> but it's quite excellent, actually, because it's so absurd. It's so out of character. I'm very optimistic, but really out there in happy land. It's nice to get that counterbalance. I actually did Eeyore as, <laughs> as, as my, that doesn't actually sound like Robert Smith. He, has, he actually has, a, he has an English accent and it's, a, it's so out of character, very optimistic, but really out there in happy land. But it's nice to get that counterbalance. I like that better. But he said, this song was for people who actually aren't fans of The Cure. <laughs> that was Robert yeah. Smith's quote. And this song, actually, the really cool thing about this, from a point of view, this isn't too technical, but it was accidentally sped up a quarter tone, which sets it apart for the rest of the album. He was playing with a very speed pitch control, and he forgot to shut it off when they recorded it. <laughs> and the whole feel sort of changed. It's the only song that really sounds different on an album. Interesting. So okay. it, it probably helped. Yeah. It's one of those happy accidents. Right. As there Bob Ross has always talked about happy accidents. And this <laughs> this was a happy accident. It's happy. Happy flowers. Happy flowers. And I know this is going to look like we're destroying everything. Don't worry about it. We don't make mistakes. We have happy accidents. And uh, the speeding up of the tone was a happy accident. You play this song. You play a couple notes from the song. Everybody knows what it is. Right. You know, it's, it's got a feel-good vibe to it. So good. Anyway, the Friday of My Love by The Cure. Off of the Wish album, our number six. Let's listen, baby. All right, that was number six, Friday I'm in Love by The Cure. Now, let's move from something that's modern rock sound to something completely different off of an album called Mac Daddy, <laughs> which is on all of our lists once again. 
Uh, it was higher on my list than yours, but it was higher on the media's list than mine. Mm. The name of the song is Babies Got Back by Sir Mix a lot. It's such an iconic intro, the beat. So deep. Okay, it's not deep. <laughs> but it but it is catchy. <laughs> but it is catchy. Although you can get deep in it, I guess. Oh my. Uh, but you couldn't really avoid this song. Literally, it blew up everywhere. Yep. I like the call and answer with both the ladies and the fellas. So ladies, yeah, ladies, yeah. You wanna roll in my Mercedes? Yeah. All that stuff. It's great. Obviously, this was controversial due to due to sexual objectification of women. This music video was briefly banned by MTV, which actually helped the song. Because when something's banned, at that time, it's like, wait, what's banned? It's coming right. back on? I gotta, I, I gotta see it. it? Yeah. yeah. Sir Mixlaw said, I still love Babies Got Back. I will perform it till I drop. It's completely ignorant when an artist has a successful, iconic song that makes millions and slaps his fan in the face and says, that song ain't anything. I'm bigger than that. I appreciate the fact that people got behind no pun intended. <laughs> that song uh, back in the day, he didn't say no pun intended. I added that. <laughs> you should celebrate having a song that damn big. That's what he said. Number one for five weeks in the U.S. Grammy Award, second best selling song in 92. Yeah, you number can't one, avoid it. Number one on the greatest one hit wonders of the 90s. <laughs> VH1. <laughs> one of the most interesting things, I, I'm a fan of this show called The Mass Singer. You ever see it? Mm-hmm. They had somebody perform this song on there. Okay. You know when they reveal somebody, you're shocked? Right. This one was beyond shock. She just did Baby's Got Back, and she was voted off the show, dressed as a bear, and this happened. And it was Sarah Palin. (laughs) She was dressed as a bear, uh, which makes sense with Alaska, I guess. So it was just fantastic. I'll let you speak a little on. We've got back. Yeah, I mean, again, it's one of the songs you can't avoid in the early 90s, right? It was that big, I think. And juicy. And juicy, yes, indeed. <laughs> if I remember correctly, like uh, Eddie Murphy snuck a couple of lyrics into uh, Shrek as the donkey from Baby from Baby's Got Back. Yeah, I like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. And so that, that was like my introduction to it. I actually did watch the video for this one. Okay. It was really interesting. I actually- You I, like the hills? <laughs> There were a few hills and uh, some valleys, but then more hills. In in all seriousness, I I think it's interesting. The whole concept of body shaming has become more prevalent in, you know, the late late 2015s, 2020s, right? But they were talking about body shaming back then. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were talking about, you know, the rock stars and what the rock stars were promoting as a certain particular figure or image. The Kate Mosses of the world. Yeah, exactly. They were going completely opposite of that, right? A little bit of humor, a little bit of seriousness. Eventually, when I got older, I figured out what he meant when he said the word anaconda. But, you know. (laughs) He was talking about a real snake, I'll tell you that right now. Wait, it's a snake that lives in the jungle? (laughs) <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. It could. It depends it, on the situation. It could live in the, in the outbush. Yeah. <laughs> and the digression's complete. Okay, anyway, um, yeah. Anyways, 
No, it's a song you can't ignore, and it's got to be got to be mentioned. Um, so there you go. So let's listen to "Baby's Got Back" by Sir Mix a Lot. He was he was actually knighted by the the Queen Queen Latifah, I think. Anyway, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, let's listen. That's a good one. Wet, gotta go on like a turbo vet. I'm tired of magazines saying flat butts all the thing. Take the average black man and ask him that. She gotta pack much bags, so fellas. Yeah. Anyway, that's Baby's Got Back by Sir Mix-A-Lot off of the Mac Daddy album. Yeah, good tune. And obviously it's one Socially of those iconic impactful, tunes. right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Now, we're going to roll into number four. And this was the media's number 11. This was not on my list. But this is one of the ones that just fell off my list. It's on your list somewhere. Oh, it's number one on your list. <laughs> it's Remedy by the Black Crows <laughs> off of the Southern Harmony and Musical Companion album. Our number four, but you're number one. So why don't you lead us off? Oh, man. Where do I start? It's one of my all-time favorites. My brief stint in a cover band. This is one of the songs we played. And it was a joy for me because I actually got to play out a little bit in in the keyboard sense, where I wasn't necessarily hiding behind the guitar all the time. And I had not heard the song prior to... You need to hide behind the guitar. (laughs) Look, I accept it. It's my typical role, you know. But in this situation, it was way more prominent. Um, I had not heard the song prior to playing in this cover band and um it's since become one of my all-time favorites electric piano bluesy riffs the syncopated chorus the vocal note bends it was number one on the u.s mainstream rock billboard chart the album debuted at number one well the black crows were massive yeah yeah coming out for their shake your money maker was one of the iconic albums of all time so this is their follow-up so that's going to sell a lot yeah and, and again going back to my song of note as well it's like this is the it, both that one and this, and then the Black Crows album, uh, the Southern Harmony and Musical Companion, that to me is the perfect balance between guitar and keyboards. Like if, if I had to pick it out of the sky, that would be the absolute balance that would want to see where both instruments are being allowed to express themselves to the, to the nth degree being married together. It was a blast to play. Um, it was fun to learn. My, my personal opinion, it's got to be the number one song of 92. And, and I know you support Chris Robinson when he says Remedy is a song that was essentially about freedom. We were into this whole idea that war on drugs was just silly and this asinine concept to me and other millions of people. So to me, freedom, plain and simple, the pro-marijuana stance that the band espouses is something that they help promote. And they've done all of the, they're on high times for this album and for the song. So it's very good that you're standing up. That's great. I love the beginning of this with the trio of chords that answered by the lead guitar. Mm-hmm. You know immediately this is a jam tune. Yep. Then the piano comes in, which I can live without, but <laughs> I'm just kidding, with, with the rhythm section and, and it gets into that verse groove, which yep. is great. Chris's vocals are always great. I love his bluesy delivery. He does that really well. The chorus turns into this R&B with background singers, mm-hmm. and it's so good. The There's background that call and singers answer, right? take forward. Yeah. They actually lead it, and he answers it. He's They do the call, and he does the answer, which yeah. is awesome. Black Crow's fantastic. One of my favorite bands. That sort of vibe. Yep. It's sad that their brothers can't get along anymore. Right. It's they can't. They fight constantly in the same room. I guess it's an ego thing. Yeah. It's you know it's disappointing, but I mean, how many times have we heard a band that two of the members fight and put brothers in the mix? You know what's going to happen. Um, I'll admit there's a bit of personal bias to it. I tell you what, it's just it's one of the most fun songs to play. 
And when you're out there and you're jamming with a band and everyone's in sync, you've got the world on a string. Let's listen to Remedy by the Black Crows over Southern Harmony and the Musical Companion. One of the best songs of 1992 are number four. Okay, that was Remedy by the Black Crows off of Southern Harmony and the Musical Companion. So good. Really good tune. It's uh, this is Black Crows. You get that vibe. It's so good. Yep. So good. I understand why it's your number one. Yep. Because you're wrong, but I get it. <laughs> no, no. It's well, a, I'm it's used fan- to it. It's but... a fantastic tune. All right. So this next one is on all our lists. Of course, this is the media's number two. Which is the highest, so the media is going to talk about this. <laughs> You're actually higher than me by a couple on this. This is our three overall by one of the best guitarists of uh, all time. Yes. And it came out on two albums this year, the MTV Unplugged version, mm-hmm. but it initially came out on the soundtrack to the movie Rush, Tears in Heaven. So you can start off, I'll finish up. Oh man, this is just an absolutely special, heartbreaking, soul-searching song. Heartbreaking for sure. Yes. You know, very, very sad story where Clapton's son, four years old, had Connor. Fallen, yeah, yeah fall, fell out of a hotel window and passed away. Out of his mother's apartment window. Oh, that's even worse. On the 53rd story. That's even worse. Last I saw a picture of, of Clapton and his wife or his the son's mother, they're walking together towards the funeral service and it just, it, it broke my heart just horribly sad. And he comes up with a song, completely a beautiful prayer. The lyric goes, beyond that door, there's peace, I'm sure. And I think that's a lyric that we all need, no matter when what stage of life we're in. That song spoke to me as a teenager. It speaks to me as an adult, just an absolutely beautiful piece. And it's interesting that he seems to be realizing that if he's going to be in heaven, his son, that he may not be joining them. He says, I don't belong and I can't stay mm-hmm. here in heaven as he's talking about it, which yeah. is which is kind of really, really sad. Beautiful guitar layering in this song. Unbelievably emotional song. Mm-hmm. To your point, 53 Floors, I Can't Imagine. Sure. And the background singers are given that extra depth, mm-hmm. whether they're singing the lyric or they're ooing in the background, which mm-hmm. you don't actually realize, but they're doing. It's fantastic. It clapped and said in his autobiography, uh, which is worth a read. I have it up there if you want to borrow it later. Mm. I wrote this one to ask the question I've been asking myself ever since my grandfather died. Will we meet again? It's difficult to talk about these songs in depth. Mm -hmm. And this song helped keep me alive through the darkest period of my life. When I try to take myself back to that time to recall the terrible numbness that I lived in, I recoil in fear. I never want to go through anything like that again. So this was nominated for nine Grammys, won six, including Record of the Year and Song of the Year. The only number one song that Eric Clapton ever wrote. Wow. He had one other number one, but that was for I Shot the Sheriff, which wasn't his song. Right. Speaking musically about the unplugged version, I love the slapping sound of the nylon string when you pluck it and it slaps back against the guitar. To me, that adds this percussive nature to the song. The chord structure and where... The chords are inverted and which notes are in the bass really speak to the song and it really d- drives the structure of the song and leaves it open for the fact that there's no resolution yet because we're not in heaven yet so let's listen to our number three song overall tears in heaven by eric clapton and we'll listen to the unplugged version 
Number three, Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. What a emotional song. Yeah. And that's what it is. I was telling Jason before, and when we're talking during it, and we're talking about different uh, times in our lives where we've experienced uh, other people dealing with loss like that. And um, it, it, that's what this song does. It, mm-hmm. it kind of says, well, it's okay. And... Anyway, that's our number three. Now, I don't know where we go from here. I mean, totally <laughs> the opposite direction is where we go from uh, here. Okay. All right. Uh, this we talked about in episode 19 of the podcast, our number two. Total opposite of the last song we did. Okay. The name of the song is Sex Type Thing by Stone Temple Pilots off of the core album. This is my number two. This is Jason's number two. We matched. We matched on this, and it's the number two overall. Wow. Go figure. I'm going to lead because you've been leading for a while. Go for it, man. Driving guitar, playing a killer riff right off the bat. The drums accent, the great drum sound. I love the drum sound. Mm -hmm. The verse vocals are so deep and so thick. Builds up in the chorus. Song feels almost like a chase from the beat. Yep. Chorus is amazing. Scott Weil used to sing this from the rapist point of view. But he was worried that fans didn't appreciate it. He was always kind of disappointed when fans would mosh to it at a live show. Right. And he'd see like these Greeks get out there and these college kids. Sure. So when he realized he didn't get the point, he used to wear a dress and smear lipstick on his face when he was singing the song. And obviously metal audiences were not necessarily into guys wearing dresses on stage, but they didn't consider themselves a metal band anyway. Hmm. This is the first video STP ever did, but I'll let you continue the rest of the stuff. Well, so I got the album Thank You, and this was one of the songs, the album Thank You, along with Plush and a bunch of their, you know, the big hits at that time. My favorite song by Stone Temple Pilots is Wicked Garden, but Sex Type Thing really has way more musical variety. The crunching guitars throughout the verse, the vocal octaves, the fuzz and fill guitars in the chorus. And of course, you know, it's a horrible situation that generates a song, right? To try to tie it into the last song we had, so many songs are written because something really bad happened. I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Scott Welland actually knew a you very, very young girl who was molested, and he wrote the song okay, after I didn't, that. Uh, that's okay. Scott Weilen said that he was only 22 when he wrote the melody and the lyrics, and it's blatantly an anti-date rape song, kind of like Polly was by Nirvana. But yeah, to your point, he thought the song was misinterpreted when he performed it, and so he tried to try to change that that mantra with the, the whole dress and the, the lipstick and all that stuff. I'll admit, when I listened to the song the first time, I didn't quite understand what he was talking about. The lyrics are very subtle. Regardless of the sensitivity of the song, if he was trying to sing it as promoting that sort of attitude, I wouldn't like it and I couldn't promote it. Sure. But that's not what he was doing. He was just taking it from that point of view. Well, yeah. And, you know, I got into STP in college. A friend of mine, classmate, turned me on to the, that band and she'd seen them like, you know, nine or 10 times. And Scott Weiland's voice, I, I, I have to go back to his voice because, you know, as good as the guitars are, as good as everything else is in that group, Scott Weiland's voice makes it. And the ability for him to do different things with his voice is just phenomenal. So let's listen to Sex Type Thing by Stone Temple Pilots off of Core. 
What a driving guitar song. I love this song. Let's go. number two sex type thing what could be number one what is missing what i haven't done my number one song darn it so it's gotta be yours maybe maybe that'll be it oh well anyway that was sex type thing by stone temple pilots our number two now our number one we talked about this band in episode seven this was not on the media's list because media's stupid that's right this was on Jason's list. This was on my list. This was Jason's three. My number one. Okay. The name of the song is Rooster by Allison Chains off of the Dirt album. And oh, what a fantastic tune. The bass works so well with the clean strum on the intro. And the ooze ain't finding a way to kill me yet. Cuts through the mix and so strong. Especially when coupled with the wah of the lead guitar. Of course, mm-hmm. is great. Almost feels hypnotic and then slammed by heavy guitars. Obviously, this song means a little bit more to me because my father was in Vietnam. Hmm. So this has always been a, a one of those songs that hits me hard. Uh, it gets stronger and stronger as the song moves, finally escalating at the bridge. And it drops so suddenly in dynamic feel. Yep. It's sort of a... The way I look at this is every time he says, they come to snuff the rooster... That's when the attack happens. That's when the Viet Cong hits and all of a sudden it blows up into this maelstrom of violence and Mm -hmm. chords and heaviness. They've come to snuff the rooster and then boom, it explodes in fury again and then it softly ends. It was inspired by Jerry's dad, whose nickname was Rooster. He served with the 101st Hmm. Airborne in Vietnam and he got the name because he was perceived cocky. And his hair kind of stood up. That helped. But, but the, one of the things they talked about is the 101st Airborne had a bald eagle on their patch. Mm-hmm. But there are no bald eagles in Vietnam. And the closest thing the Vietnamese could draw a comparison to was a chicken. So they used to call them chicken men. Ah. Because they thought it was a chicken. So I'll let you continue. You know, Alice in Chains is such an incredibly diverse band. I love the strumming guitar at the beginning, the falsetto vocals, the vocal harmony. Uh, one of my favorite things about Alice in Chains is their harmony notes on the vocal uh, because they don't hit traditional harmony notes. They actually use the space between the lead vocal and the harmony note, which creates some really diverse dimensions in their piece of music. I'm glad we actually matched on Rooster. I think it's the right pick. I'm glad it made number one. That, that lyric about snuffing the rooster just to me was so incredible and profound. Gentlemen, my name is Sergeant Dick Leakey. Some call me the rooster. Why, 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 why? Yeah, they come to snuff the rooster. <laughs> War thong, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you think about, and, and I'll, I'll stray into the technical area a little bit here. If you think about metal songs that are in a minor key and you walk down a minor scale, that's something that metal has been doing forever. Right. right, right, right. But Alice in Chains do it differently. They linger, hold notes for a beat and a half. I think, what a is it? The flat quarters. fifth. They have that note that just makes it just 
yeah dark it's 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 100 percent dark probably the devil's note if you asked uh you know bible thumpers from you know 50 years ago but the lingering is the thing that we'll hear a lot in alice in chains and they won't just simply walk down one two three four and walk down a minor scale they'll linger and then they'll they'll dabble in a couple of notes before resolving on a minor note if you want to really get into alice in chains if you love alice in chains Really listen to episode seven, Jake, my co-host in episode seven, Yep, my co-host for most of these, he actually went to dinner with Alice in Chains. He knows the guys from Alice in Chains and he has a lot to say about this. So really check that one out. Mm -hmm. If you want to really get an insider's view, Jake has an insider's view on Alice in Chains. Anyway, let's listen to our number one song overall, Rooster by Alice in Chains off of Dirt. Let's listen. Okay, that was number one. Oh, we made it through. Oh, my gosh. Right on. But Rob, I missed my song. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm here for you. That's right. We're going to talk about the songs that were on our list but missed the cut. I'll start. And let's go. Maybe these were the songs that you wanted to hear. So let's go through that now. I had three songs that missed the cut. My number six, Symphony of Destruction by Megadeth, off of the Countdown to Extinction album. My number nine, Wish by Nine Inch Nails, from their album Broken. And my number 12, NWO by Ministry, off of their Psalm 69 album. Let me talk about Symphony of Destruction by Megadeth, because I haven't talked about okay. Megadeth in this entire series ever, ever, ever. Is my number six anyway. They have this little Mozart entry into yep. driving metal guitar. I love the gravel and delivery that is just uniquely David Mustaine. The lead line and the chorus is solid, highlighting the main melody. It's a strong message. And as Dave would say, he stated that every leader we've had that hasn't ended up with a bullet in his brain is a political puppet. <laughs> so that's what he says. Well, there you go. So it, it was inspired by the Manchurian Candidate. Okay. The movie. Now, Raymond, now the big one. Why? Why is all of this being done? What have they built you to do? I don't think anybody really knows except that it's over in Moscow. My American operator here. Whatever it is, it's supposed to happen soon. I like that movie. Yeah, it's about a POW who's brainwashed and sent back to the U.S. to run for office. It is a great movie, though. And just to be clear, when they talk about Pied Piper in the song, it's not about politicians. It's about the people who are controlling the politicians. Right. Spooky dudes and stuff like that. Well, there's a reference to puppets in there, too, right? Yeah. 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 And the solo is restrained, but fits the song well. And the video was huge. It showed a country falling apart. 
due to a divisive political campaign and regime. You can imagine that. And then, no the, idea what that's, what that's and then like. the politician got assassinated in the videos, but they had to cut it because MTV wouldn't play it on the air with that clip. So they re-edited the video omitting that scene. David Mustaine, this is what he said. You know what? The video registers good in our hearts and we feel like we the best job we can do. Whatever we need to do is in order to get the point across to the kids that they're being led down a one-way street off a cliff by the people who are ruling this country now. Go ahead. I think it's more important to get our point across than the fact that whether or not we have to soften up a certain scene or lose it all together. Mm. Great tune. I love me some Megadeth sometimes. And Dave Mustaine. It's interesting. He's a Christian now, which is just a bizarre thing from That's a right. band I, called I Megadeth. I do think I heard that. Him and the guy from Corn. Yeah, there's a couple people, Alice Cooper, a bunch of people. Who, right, that's right. Who turn that you don't expect. Regardless of that, just a great song. Some of the musicality that's happening here and some of the producing of this track is exceptional. So one of my favorite songs, Symphony of Destruction yep. by Megadeth. It missed the cut, but I wanted to talk about it. So let's talk about Jason. You had a couple songs that missed the cut. Jason, you had three songs that missed the cut. You're number six, The One by Elton John off of The One. Number 10, We Shall Be Free by Garth Brooks off of The Chase. We shall be free. Stand straight and walk proud. We shall be free. And finally, your number 11, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston off of the Bodyguard soundtrack. You need So I want to talk about I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. The Bodyguard is a movie that you watch for the music. You know, you don't watch The Bodyguard for the acting. There's an incredible list of musical artists that contributed to that. Whitney Houston contributed several pieces. is just phenomenal. Kenny G with uh, Aaron Neville. Kenny G is not fantastic. <laughs> well, see, I had to figure out a way to sneak Kenny G into your I podcast know, somehow. Sorry. Somehow I was going to get him in there. Um, but again, we're going back <laughs> oh, God, to I Will Always Love You, which was one of Whitney Houston's biggest hits. I've had the privilege over the years to work with some amazing female vocalists and they're, you know, their names will never hit the top charts, but they're just incredible people. I have learned to appreciate the immense power that's in a woman's vocal. Whitney Houston shows that power throughout the entire track. She's got inflections. She's got grace notes. She has incredible vocal control and it's really a, just a major showcase for her vocal talent. It placed number 11 on my list, and I didn't rank it any higher because I felt like the background instruments just didn't do anything that was remarkable. But they couldn't, because if they did, it would take away from Whitney Houston's vocal performance. It was almost all acapella. Right. It was very naked sort of singing. Yeah, but a huge hit for her. And so for that, for that reason, I think it deserves a mention. And it's interesting that Dolly Parton actually wrote the song. Correct. And it's often misinterpreted as a song about people who will be together forever. And it's often played at weddings. <laughs> but <laughs> Which is ridiculous. If you watch the movie, you understand. <laughs> which is, it's sad in a sense the singer will always love the person she's singing to, yet she knows that they're not right for each other. Right. And, and she must let him go. Right. 
yeah, this is a amazing song. And yeah, totally with you. And I'm glad you included it on the list because that was a massive song. It was. The media had several songs that missed the cut, including their number one, Man on the Moon by R.E.M. off of Automatic for the People. Their number three, Steam by Peter Gabriel off of Us. Their number eight, Plush by Stone Temple Pilots off of Core. Their number nine, Nothing But a G Thing by Dr. Dre off of The Chronic. Give me the microphone first so I can bust like a bubble. Compton and Long Beach together, now you know you in trouble. Ain't nothing but a G thing, baby. Too low depth, so we're crazy. Death Row is the label that pays, man. And their number 12, Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon by Urge Overkill off of the Stully P. So, Jason, what do you think? Oh, what do you man. want to talk about? There's so many, um, but I think we ought to talk about Steam by Peter Gabriel. A lot of rhythm. You all know, love the horns and the keys, counter melodies. I, I'm not a huge Peter Gabriel fan, personally. You That's can tell. because you haven't dug deep enough. <laughs> um, but I think the song's worth discussing. It's certainly a, a great composition, great piece. And, uh, and it's a sexual piece, believe it or not. It's about uh, a female giving a male fellatio. Interesting. Give me steam. It's a great song, even though it's about a sexual act. The groove of the track is great. The horns and the bass really shine through in this track. Mm -hmm. The chorus is catchy. I love the vocal line near the end of the chorus. It's just great. The stand back section with the lead guitar. Yep. uh, it's really solid. Uh, Really good. I've seen him perform it, and he's doing hand motions on stage to simulate what the song's about pretty much although if it looks like he's dancing strangely if you're not in the know i guess no subtlety there no subtlety (laughs) and we'll go into much more graphic detail if you uh, check out episode 15 when we talk about peter gabriel so good now let's rewind to remind you what our dirty dozen was our number 12 was killing in the name by rage against the machine our number 11, Midlife Crisis by Faith No More. Our number 10, Seasons by Chris Cornell. Number 9, 100% by Sonic Youth. Number 8, No Rain by Blind Melon. Number 7, Hey Jealousy by The Gym Blossoms. Number 6, Friday I'm in Love by The Cure. Number 5, Babies Got Back by Sir Mix-a-Lot. Number 4, Remedy by The Black Rose. Number 3, Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. Number two, Sex Type Thing by Stone Temple Pilots. And number one, Rooster by Alice in Chains. And there you have it, the official Dirty Dozen. 
the year 1992. What a great year. This is a great year. We went through and oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Jason, for being a part of this. Well, thanks for having me, Rob. Oh man, this is such a good year and made some good picks, which I was worried because you're a keyboard player. (laughs) But you did. You did good. It's always a good reason to be worried if there's a keyboard player around. (laughs) Uh, And I'd like to give a thank you to everybody who's listening at this point. I'm so blown away that all of you take the time to listen and we really do care and and are humbled by your attention. So thank you. Oh, and be sure to keep voting. We're doing voting for next season. What podcasts you want to see us do. So far we've done, whoa, five, I guess. And we're going to doing pop rock this week. There's a lot of really good bands on there. So check that out. So far we've we're scheduled Weezer, Alice Cooper, System of a Down, Almond Brothers Band, and Black Sabbath. So check that out next year and get involved and pick the rest. We have a lot, a lot, a lot of good bands coming up. This country, the week after this, and then we're into stadium bands and punk rock and modern music and a whole bunch of stuff. So pay attention and keep on voting because... It's important that we cover the bands that you want to hear, really. That said, please share this with anybody who you think would like music. (laughs) If anybody you know was alive in the 1990s, that would be good. They'd probably like this or likes 1990s music. Have them check this out. That would be wonderful. Like this if you can or make a comment, whatever you want. So awesome. Thank you again, Jason. Thank you, Rob. And I will see you guys in two weeks we're doing a three-person podcast it's going to be fun we're going to have ralph mckinley and jeff stewart joining us so that should be pretty interesting dynamic trio it is if you haven't listened to uh ralph mckinley's podcast that last one was phenomenal so and as i see that it's almost over like 90 some odd views already so definitely check that out that was in 1996 episode 61 And I will see you guys in two weeks. God bless. I'll see you then. We know you have many choices for your podcast listening pleasure, and we thank you for choosing the Dirty Dozen Podcast. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) See you later. Love you.